Luke chapter 1 to verse 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Thanks, Darcy. Uh, you also got an outline on the back of your sheets for the talk this morning to help you see where we're going. Shall we pray before we take a look at that passage? Father, we thank you for this, this reading, for the true events that it records. And we pray this morning you'd open our hearts to the meaning and the wonder of these events, that we might be those who worship the Lord Jesus this Christmas. Amen. Uh, for breakfast this morning, we had cheesecake. 
because it's a birthday celebration. We had um, a little happy birthday Jesus uh, cake for breakfast. It was all a bit sickly sweet, I have to say. Um, but uh, because at Christmas we're celebrating a baby being born, and we've got two pretty young babies here, and there's an even newer one uh, at home for, um, for Glenn. Uh, but there are lots of babies, aren't there? On average, four babies born every second. That means if I speak for 20 minutes, 5,180 new babies in the world. About 373,000 uh, will probably be born today. All on Christmas Day. Exciting. That's a lot of babies. What's so special about this one? Well, we saw a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the first section of Matthew's gospel that he begins with a genealogy, tracing the ancestral line of Jesus back to King David, back to Abraham. In doing that, Matthew's showing that the whole Bible has been looking forward to this birth. All history has been building to this baby being born. The birth of the son of David, the Messiah, the son of Abraham, the one who will bring God's blessing to the whole world. And in the passage we're looking at this morning, the baby is given two, na two names. Jesus, which means God saves, and Emmanuel, which means God with us. So I want to take a look at those two names this morning and what they tell us about this special baby. Uh, three points to guide us through on your sheets. Firstly, his identity is divine. Both names tell us that the baby whose birth we celebrate today is none other than God himself. This is that the creator God has become a human being. Everything else is secondary to that. Now, of course, there are other people called Jesus. There are other people called Emmanuel. Having those names doesn't make you divine. The names for this baby don't prove his divinity. The proof comes later as Jesus does the kind of things only God can do, calming the storm, walking on water, raising the dead, forgiving sin, receiving worship. And so given what Matthew and the other followers of Jesus witnessed of him in his life, death, resurrection, these names take on special significance. He's not just called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is God with us. God in human flesh. Now, we can't say how that came to be. Matthew simply tells us that Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Just as in creation, the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and brought into being all that now is. So, in this great act of salvation, the Spirit moved in the womb of Mary to bring into being this divine human child. I've had the pleasure of holding the two newest members of our church family, uh, baby Winona and baby William. Uh, and at this time of year, as you hold those babies, you can't help being filled with wonder that God would take human form as a baby. There's a modern Christmas song by Sovereign Grace that says, Who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands you know, if we'd been born early enough and found our way to Bethlehem, we too could have held God in our hands. Wow. And it, you've got to ask, why? Why on earth would God do that? What is it that God has come to do? It's worth pausing and asking ourselves, what would we like God to do? 
If God was coming into the world, what did we expect him to do? Eradicate disease and sickness? Remove nuclear weapons out of the world? Sort out the climate crisis? Provide relief to victims of famine? And while he's about it, chop off all the mullets? That was Moya's suggestion. The angel tells us that, tells Joseph what this divine child will do. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His identity is divine. His mission is to save. This is what God has come to do. He's come to save, to save us from our sins. You see, all those other problems, sickness, suffering, war, hunger, they're all symptoms of a deeper problem, the problem of sin. Now, of course, sin is vastly misunderstood. At this time of year, we have adverts that tell us this chocolate pudding is so good, it's sinful. You know, sinful things are things that are naughty but nice. Those things we know, they're not good for us, but they're so pleasurable. But according to the Bible, the essence of sin is rebellion against God, our rightful ruler. See, if God is the creator... If he's the one who made us and gives us every breath, then he has a claim on our lives. I I say to the kids, but I find it helpful myself, uh, sin is S-I-N. It's saying to God, shove off, I'm in charge, no one tells me how to live. That's my heart attitude, isn't it yours? You know, when you hear that God has a claim on your life, that he has the right to tell you how to live, don't you react against that? Don't you want to push him away? Shove off God. I'm in charge of my life. No one tells me what to do. See, when the Bible says we're sinful, it's not primarily saying that we're bad people. It's saying that we're rebels. We might be very good people, but we've rejected our creator. Sin is not primarily a morality thing. It's a relational thing. None of us likes being ignored, do we? Why do we think it's okay to ignore God? And yet, we live in his world and we use his stuff and we ignore him. We don't thank him as we should. We don't love him. We live our lives without much of any reference to him. We've ignored and rejected God. We deserve to be ignored and rejected by him. But Jesus came to save us from our sins. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took the consequences that our sin deserves. He was ignored and rejected in our place. He was punished so we can be forgiven. That's why God became a man. So that as a man, God became one of us in order to die on behalf of us. In the incarnation, God took on frail flesh and blood. And as we'll celebrate in communion a bit later, that same body was broken for you and me. That same blood was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. But of course, the story didn't end with Jesus' death. He wasn't just born to die. He was born to die and rise and reign. In his resurrection, we see God's intention for humanity and the world. God entered human existence, not just so we could be forgiven, but so that we and all creation could be transformed. 
God entered this world, took on human flesh in order to redeem it, to restore it, to remake it so that we might have new life, risen life, so that we might be transformed into the likeness of the Son and one day be glorified, bodies raised to live in a new, restored, perfected creation where there will be no more death. No more mourning or crying, no more pain. Where sin is no more and our relationship with God is unhindered, free and full, face to face. The Apostle John says at the end of Revelation, look, the dwelling of God is now among the people and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Friends, that is the ultimate blessing of what Jesus came to, be, to do. He didn't just come to save us from our sins. He came to save us from our sins so that we could enjoy fellowship with God. The greatest gift that God gives us is himself. There's no greater blessing. There's no greater joy. In Jesus, God died for us so that he might be God with us. His identity is divine. His mission is to save. His goal is to be with us. You know, before Jesus, whenever God showed up, whenever God revealed himself in the world, it was terrifying. You know, think of the book of Exodus. God revealed himself in a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. Think of Mount Sinai. The cloud descended and it's the mountains burning with fire, the whole mountain shaking, and there's thunder and trumpet blast. And when God speaks, his voice is so scary, the people beg not to hear it again. Think of Moses himself, who asked to see God's face, and he's told, no, no one can see my face and live, but I'll show you my back. And even that is so awesome that we're told Moses' face radiated with glory, and he had to cover it with a, a veil. Imagine Moses hearing the message of Christmas. He would be jumping up and down saying, do you realize what this means? This is the very thing I was denied. Through Jesus, you can meet God. You can know him personally without fear. All his majestic glory can come flooding into your life and embrace you. Do you realize? Where's your joy? Where's your amazement? I don't know how much to make of this, but it is striking that when God shows up in Jesus, he doesn't come as a pit of a fire. He comes as a baby. Small, weak, vulnerable, open and approachable. There's nothing scary about a baby. Well, maybe there is, but you know what I mean. Why the difference? Pit of a fire, baby. Because this time, God has come to serve and to save. To take away the barrier between us and open the way for us to approach him without fear. Matthew begins his gospel with this name for Jesus, Emmanuel, the God who's with us. And at the end of the gospel, he records Jesus' own words, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. St. Augustine prayed, Lord, you've made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless 
till they find their rest in you. Friends, this is what we were made for. This is where our deepest longings are satisfied. This is where we'll find true rest this Christmas and always. John Wesley, the 18th century preacher, reportedly said on his deathbed, the best of all is God with us. Of all is God with us. He died with those words on his lips. Let's live with those words on our hearts. Two applications as we finish. We need to remove our limitations. We've all got problems in our lives, bad habits, needs, and some of us have decided that's just the way it's going to be. But if we're united to Jesus, then the one at the center of our life is God, the one who invented the universe. Do we really think our bad habits are any match for him? He came to save us from our sins, not only from the penalty of our sins, but from the power and presence of sin in our lives. He's given us new life with resurrection power. Yes, we live that new life in the midst of the old. No, we'll never be entirely free from sin in this life. But his intention for us is to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. We need to get rid of our cynicism about what God can do in us and through us. As we look forward to the new year, as we have this focus on spiritual growth as a church, let's live and pray as people who believe that God is with us. Secondly, we need to renew our relationship. Christmas is all about God with us. And look at what he did to be with you and me. Now, what are we doing to be with him? What's keeping you from him? Is it fear of rejection, a sense of shame, a sense that you're not worthy of him? Well, hear the good news of Christmas again. As we celebrate communion, remember and rejoice. He came, he lived, he died, he rose to deal with everything that hinders, everything that stands in the way. He has opened the way, a new living way through the curtain that is his body. You know, I was really struck by this on Friday in my daily prayers. Hebrews 10 says, we have complete freedom to go into the most holy place. Complete freedom because of Jesus. So don't let fear or shame keep you from coming to him. But maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a lack of discipline. Maybe you say, I wish I had more time for God. What you're really saying is, it would cost you. But what would it cost you? Another half an hour in the day, uh, another morning in the week. Whatever it is, it's nothing compared to what it cost him. He came from heaven to earth to be with you. Why in the world can't you get up 30 minutes earlier to be with him? As we celebrate communion, let me encourage you, as you receive the bread and wine, receive Christ afresh. Open your heart to him. Remove your limitations. Renew your relationship. Give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank and praise you that you have come in the Lord Jesus, that you've come weak and small, vulnerable, come to serve and to save. We thank you that in Jesus, in his life, death, resurrection, you have saved us completely from our sins, removed the barrier between us so that we can have complete freedom to enter the most holy place, to, to be with you. Please uh, take away any fear, any shame. Please uh, renew our desire and discipline and delight to come and enjoy this greatest of all blessings. Help us this Christmas day to rejoice that we have fellowship with you. We pray in Jesus' name.